We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are rocking and rolling right into a brand new show and a brand new day. It's Ivy Nation Sports Talk. Glad to have you with us here today, along with Jesse Styers. I'm Sean Styers. How's your day gone, Jesse? Not too bad. We had a free burrito. Well, not free, but our we had burritos at lunch today. So, ah, brought in by work. So you know, I can't relatively about- free. Well, it sounds like it's free if they were brought in by work. As well, you know, if you didn't have to pay for them, free on my end, yes. Yeah, well, there you go. It's free. You can say it. All right, hit that like button to everybody logging in right now. We've got a lot to talk about as we continue with the offensive coordinator talk. You know, you and Vince and I did the rapid fire show Friday when we talked all about Tommy Reese leaving, and so this is going to be your first opportunity. To jump into, you know, the the bigger conversation, some of the candidates and and all that kind of stuff. Are you are you fired up? Are you ready to go? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I've been mulling around, doing a lot of reading uh, in regards to Tommy Reese's departure and kind of potential people coming in. And I, I guess I'm just so shocked still of like all of this negative talk around Tommy Reese. And, and I know we kind of talked about it a lot on Friday, but again, it's just. I, I the, the number one belief that I have is Nick Saban isn't coming calling if you're doing bad things. And I, I guess I'll just kind of leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Jason says he he typically agrees with you a lot. So, you know, we'll see if that continues here tonight. There was no salty to put me on the clock tonight. So I wasn't sure, like, you know, when exactly I was supposed to start. Since, <laughs> since he didn't put me on the clock. I'll say this before we get into the conversation, you know, and we touched on this yesterday. I saw a tweet from Tyler James this afternoon, and uh, Tyler said, remember this during coaching search season. There will be clout chasing social media accounts taking small morsels of information reported slash suggested by actual reporters and exaggerating them to make you think they know what's happening. Spoiler alert. They probably don't. And I think it's great advice. And I think that Irish Breakdown subscribers, viewers, listeners, you know, the whole thing, you know, you know, we're going to give you good information and it is good sourced information, you know. So like if you subscribe to the, 
Champions Lounge, you see all the good IB intel there. And we're not just like, at this point, we're not throwing darts at the wall. Like all the names we mentioned on yesterday's show have come from very credible sources telling us that those names, you know, have in, are, are, you know, we're, we're at least at some point names of interest in this coaching search for Notre Dame, you know, and, you know, it's like, it, it's, uh, I'm not going to say any names, but, you know, like I watch college football too, and everybody watches college football too. That doesn't give everybody like actual sourced information, you know, because, because uh, you watch college football and that's what I'm saying, you know, like what I'm saying, hack, half baked, I'm not talking about other actual reporters on the Notre Dame beat because there are a lot of good ones there. I'm talking about, again, like Tyler was saying, the clout chasers, you know, that have a Twitter account, you know, who follow the guys and maybe they're subscribed to a premium board someplace or whatever. And then they grab some little morsels of information and then they try to act like it's their own out there in in Twitter land. You know, again, if you subscribe to to IB, you're getting good information. So I, I think that most everybody here knows that by now. But I just figured I would get that out there because there's a lot <laughs> Again, we're at that time where there's a lot of stuff floating around out there. Um, but also, like we said yesterday, we're only going to comment on the things that Irish Breakdown has actual intel on. We won't comment on other things or people that other outlets are reporting unless we have our own information on it. So with that being said, a couple things to start about. We talked a lot about Byron Leftwich yesterday, the former Tampa Bay offensive coordinator, and there's still reports about him. You know, that, according to our intel, that's not happening at this point. And no Brian Johnson, the Eagles quarterback coach, either. We have very good sourced information on both those things. And according to those, to our sourced information, our sources, Byron Leftwich and Brian Johnson, not happening. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't some kind of contact one way or another, but not going forward anymore. So... I don't know if you're happy or sad, like if you were in the Byron Leftwich camp, Jesse, uh, you know, neither neither Vince or I were, were necessarily that hot on it. It was a little bit mixed here in the show yesterday, but Byron Leftwich appears that's already kind of come and gone at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm indifferent when it comes to Byron Leftwich. Um, I think the biggest draw is the NFL experience um, and the success that you know, he had with Tom Brady. Um, and, you know, I, I know that before that it was Jameis Winston and Jameis Winston had, you know, a lot of interceptions, but he also had a lot of passing yards and a, a lot of passing touchdowns. And he was asked to throw the ball, you know, quite a bit as well. So obviously when you're asked to throw the ball at a higher rate, you, you have a higher chance um, of interceptions. That doesn't excuse, you know, obviously leading the NFL in interceptions, of course, but you know, you're going to have a probably a higher number compared to usual. So I don't mind Byron Leftwich. I just don't know how his game would fit into the college uh, scheme of things. So again, I'm indifferent, haven't done a ton of research on it, but overall, I think the, the biggest con again would be, you know, I don't know that his game would necessarily translate from the NFL to college in a smooth yeah. fashion. Yeah. So yesterday we, we talked a lot about some of the different names and, you know, some pros and cons to those guys. We'll, we'll mention some of the same names today, but one thing that I have seen is a, a lot of people asking, what are your criteria? What are the, what are the main criteria that you think whoever the next offensive coordinator is needs to meet uh, 
you know, to be the guy for this job. So that's kind of what we're going to talk a little bit about today. And uh, David Flores, before we get to that, asking, Sean, do you know if the OC for Oregon State is a candidate that is getting a call? Have heard nothing about him at this point. He is, again, I don't know if there's a report to that, but we have heard nothing at this point. And, you know, talked to Brian and we, you know, we went over who's here and what and all that kind of stuff a little bit ago. That is not someone that, uh, that we're hearing right now. So, Again, I have no idea what anybody else is reporting on that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So when we talk about these criteria, Jess, how important is it to you that they go outside rather than pro- promoting someone, you know, already on the staff. There were, you know, kind of a mixed bag. Obviously, Tommy Reese was a holdover after a head coaching change. And so at this point, how important is it to you that they get somebody from outside rather than an internal promotion? To me, I think a 100% has to be someone um, external and not internal. I'm not a fan um, of internal promotions and not to, you know, bring it all back to the Cowboys, but they they just, you know, promoted Marty Schottenheimer from within. And I thought that was a horrible decision. I think when you're struggling, not struggling, but when you're looking for something new, um, a lot of internal guys can get comfortable with kind of what's been done maybe in the past or in the prior rather than bringing something new and fresh, you know, to to an offense. And I think that's um, exactly what Notre Dame kind of needs in this situation is a fresh set of eyes, someone who's, you know, maybe you can look at the film from last year and pick up, you know, the good things that Notre Dame did and then also kind of look at the deficiencies that they also had and how you, how you can improve, you know, improve on said deficiencies with your own scheme. So I'm a big proponent of bringing in someone fresh because I think it's a new perspective. Um, and again, you're not going to get comfortable with kind of what Tommy Reese did last year. You're going to kind of build your own scheme or your own system. And I think that's what that's what Notre Dame needs. And I think that's a lot often what what teams need when they're going after a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, you know, whatever coordinator it might be, 
you're looking to change things up um, and find a guy who can put his stamp on the personnel that Notre Dame has. Yeah, and you know, I, you know, we talked about this yesterday with Tommy Reese. Like there were there were the, obviously the the roots of of what he knows. Now he's added to what he learned from Brian Kelly, but the roots of what he has went to Brian Kelly. So even though you lost a head coach, you still had, you know, a lot of this, you know, those, those basic tenets of the offense were right back to Brian Kelly. And like with Jared Parker being the prime internal candidate right now, we know that he worked at Penn state, but what we, you know, what, what we also know is he wasn't running his own offense. You know, he was calling plays from someone else's, offense so like how exactly would that look like does he have you know what he's worked for tommy reese does and you know and and he called plays in someone else's offense so does he have like his own basic you know kind of philosophy what would that look like and you know i just i agree i i I think that where you are right now you need you know again we're going to talk about some of these other criteria but i think that going outside is going to be much better Marcus Freeman than uh, than an internal promotion at this point, even though you have a guy who's got, you know, some some OC experience on the staff. My next question for you, you know, again, kind of related to what I was just talking about, in comparison to what Tommy Reese was doing offensively, what's maybe the biggest change that you want to see from the offense going forward with whoever the next guy is? Uh, I want to see more involvement out of the running backs outside of just running the ball. I think that their biggest overall strongest position this past season was their running back uh, room. And I feel like they weren't utilized enough in the past game and what you can achieve using, using, you know, running backs that could, that can be on the field simultaneously together. And just because you have two running backs on the field, you can use them as decoys. You can use them as check down routes. You can use them you know, in motion a lot to see what the, what coverage you're in. There's just so many different things that you can do with the, with, you know, using those two, two running backs, even maybe even I would go as far to say three running backs um, and just using them in the past game, using them on the edge to set blocks when you're trying to, you know, get around the corner. There's just so many different things that you can do. And so I would like a quarterback or sorry, an offensive coordinator that realizes what his most talent in the room is and then finding ways to get those guys, you know, the ball or get them involved in plays on a consistent basis. Because we all knew that Notre Dame had obviously, you know, the top tight end in the in the country. If you don't want to admit that, you can say top two tight end in the country. And then I would argue the best running back room in the country. Um, yeah. And they, they were they were lacking, you know, at at the wide receiver position. But yet they didn't find ways to get their running back running backs more involved in the passing game. When you have someone like Chris Tyree, who's a jackknife type of guy who can run the ball, who can get on the edge, who can catch passes out of the backfield, stuff like that. So I think that we need to see an offensive coordinator again that can incorporate what his strengths are and not be afraid to kind of go all in on what those strengths are. Yeah. And I mean, you're right. Like you had the best tight end, single individual tight end in the country, but as a position group, the running back running back room was your best offensive position, especially from a skill position standpoint. And they needed to use that more. And I mean, you're singing my tune. I've, you know, I was singing it all season long, especially in relation to Chris Tyree, but all those guys can catch. And that has to be, you know, and I was touching on a little bit yesterday, like I, I you know, wouldn't be opposed to like Dylan McCullough being running game coordinator. And now I don't know how much of that, like when you talk about, 
him being running game coordinator would correlate to what you're talking about with, you know, getting the running, you know, running backs involved in the passing game and stuff like that. But he has roots to the Andy Reid system and Andy Reid's system going all the way back to Philadelphia has always incorporated the running backs quite a bit, throwing them the football quite a bit. And I think that they need to do more of that. And, you know, like, so definitely that, especially right now, because that is your, your, you know, your greatest position of strength. And when you've got a guy like Chris Tyree completely underutilized, you have to find a way to get him in. I'd like to see more RPOs in the offense as well. You know, I, I think that that is something that has been lacking. And in today's game, I think it makes sense to, uh, to get, you know, to have more RPOs in the offense and with the kind of quarterbacks that they're going to have, you know, it's something that they can definitely use. And, you know, like you, you know, look at it from the defensive side of the ball. I think we've talked about it before. Do, do you agree with that as well? Is that something you'd like to also see? Yeah. And I, I definitely believe that RPO should be a part of the offense, especially, you know, there's, I, I'm, I'm an adamant believer that there's going to be Buckner led packages, even though he, he probably won't be the starter next season. I still think he gets clock and playing time in specific packages and we've seen him develop as a passer. And so now when you have the, the, the dual threat or the legit threat of passing and running with Buckner's legs and arms, I would like to see more of that RPO stuff. And especially from, you know, a defensive perspective, it just makes the linebackers have to um, honor and be almost a step or two behind, depending on if it's run or pass, because, you know, you don't know, you're going to have to step up and honor the run every time. And then once, you know, once you've hit enough runs, uh, and you pull that and, you know, I, now you've got two to three steps on a linebacker and maybe, you know, some sort of man coverage or, you know, the, the linebacker is late to dropping to his middle of the field hole. Where you can hit a tight end on a seam over the middle. There's just so many things you can do by influencing the linebackers. And RPO is exactly uh, what what that accomplishes is it, it gets the attention of the, the linebackers eyes and feet when they have to honor those plays stepping up, um, you know, on play action or just straight up run. You can't get Derek's mind out of the burritos now. Since you <laughs> it's funny you because I haven't had a true burrito in a long time. Like, you know, whenever I go to Chipotle or, you know, some of the other kind of similar, you know, chains, restaurants around here, I always just get a bowl because, you know, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the extra, you know, calories, carbs that the, the burrito gives you. And so when we were given the option of just burritos, I was like, wow, this is this is really good. I haven't had a legit burrito in a really long time, I got the barbacoa in there, so it was nice and spicy. It was a good time during lunch today. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people commenting on the RPOs. More RPOs means Moorhead. Of, of course, Joe Moorhead, the Akron head coach who has been at Oregon and in Penn State. Um, that's that 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 moves it, you know, like if if. If RPOs are a must, then I think that that definitely moves more head up. And there's some other things that I think move more head up on this list as well, as you know, we kind of check through some of these different criteria that we're talking about. Is is there is there like one most important criteria that you're looking at? You know, whether it's quarterback development, play calling, recruiting. You know, like we've seen other people say. You know, being a teacher, and that's something Brian wrote about on Irish Breakdown. And and Joe says, someone who believes in Notre Dame and what she stands for, B, relentless recruiter who goes after top talent consistently, C, uses the talent on the team to maximize 
what they can do. And I think those are all really good points. So is there is is there kind of one criteria for you, Jess, that stands above the others? You know, I really liked that C, uh, maximizing talent. But, you know, I kind of was hinting at that already. So I, I would say that another big one for me is I, I want to see success across multiple levels, meaning that, you know, I want to see offensive success at multiple pit stops. I don't want it to be a guy who's, you know, kind of been uh, maybe just now starting out. You know, I, I guess what I'm saying is I want a proven track record um, and a guy that has shown that he can get it done at maybe at the college level and the NFL level, or maybe at, you know, uh, a power five level and a non-power five level. Like I know Vince said he, he doesn't want a Matt guy, but to me, those Matt guys are really appealing because it's hard to to work with what you got talent wise at that le- at the MAC level, right? You're not getting an abundance of three, four, five star recruits, and so really what shines at that level is scheme, in my opinion. Because how can you out scheme guys with the talent that you have? And so then when you can upgrade your talent, I think the scheme can also be upgraded um, as well. Yeah, and I, and I think that I think that Vince was you know kind of talking about more like with the MAC guys like Jason Candle, I think. I think he was, you know, referring more specifically to someone like that because like with Moorhead, even though he's in the MAC now, he's been a head coach at Mississippi State. He's obviously been a coordinator at some bigger programs like Oregon and Penn State as well. This guy has been around a while. He's a veteran, you know, he's coached at some big schools in some big environments. So even though he's at a MAC school right now, He's, you know, it's, it's not, you know, again, it's, and it's nothing against Candle because he's a, a really good coach, but he came from Mount Union and then to Toledo and he hasn't branched outside that yet. So even though, you know, it, so even though, again, he's a really good football coach for where he is, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that, that this is necessarily the fit right now for what Notre Dame needs in an offensive coordinator. No, yeah, and I, I, I 100% get that too. I guess the, the point I was just trying to get out is I'd like to see the track record across multiple different like levels, right? Like I want to see it. You've worked your way up. You've had six, you kind of come up from the bottom. You've had, you know, success here, success there. To me, when, when, you, when you go to place after place and you're the common denominator of why this success is happening, that's ultimately, you know, what I'm looking for. An offense that struggled maybe a, a year before, a year or two before, and now they bring in a new guy, who has had proven success at other places and he's able to quickly turn it around essentially is what I would be looking at the most. Right. Quarterback development, play calling, recruiting are some of the criteria that we have. So, you know, again, without ranking necessarily the importance of each, is there like when you look at quarterback development and you look at who some of these different candidates are, who would you maybe say is is like the ideal guy in terms of a guy who you trust the most to develop the quarterback or would trust the most to develop the quarterback? Mm, see, that's a good, good, good question. I um, I'll just say I'll just say this, and I mentioned this yesterday. Like Trace McSorley, when Moorhead was at Penn State. He became the first Penn State quarterback to have back-to-back 3,000-yard seasons. And, you know, again, McSorley is like your classic, this is a college quarterback. That's a definition of a Penn State quarterback in my opinion. Yeah, that's right. And Trace McSorley, what is it now, five, six years later? What are, you know, he's 
on an NFL roster still. He's, you know, he's on the Arizona Cardinals roster. He's a backup and, you know, drawing a paycheck still. And so I think that you, I think it's very safe to say that, that Moore had maxed out every bit of talent at a Trace McSorley when he was at Penn State. And that, that honestly was kind of the guy that I was leaning towards before you said that just because of, you know, his OC and quarterback experience. And, you know, we, you, you listed off play calling, recruiting and quarterback development. You know, I'm not so much as high on. I, yes, I want hit the, the the new OC to be a great recruiter, but it's not the top priority for me. I think Notre Dame is loaded with guys who can recruit, obviously led by Marcus Freeman, who does, you know, the bulk of the work because he is Marcus Freeman. He's one of the nation's top recruiters. Um, to me, the number one thing I'd be looking for out of those is quarterback development. Uh, and solely because I think that's the position that will take Notre Dame over the top. I think that they'll consistently have a solid defense. They'll consistently get talent at wide receiver, um, tight end, offensive line, running back. Like that's never the issue. What they're missing is that Heisman type quarterback. And I think that has been the limiting factor. You know, Ian Book, yes, he was good, but let's all be honest with ourselves. He was not a Heisman finalist type quarterback in my eyes. And that's what I think the program has been missing for some time. So I most importantly want to see a guy who can consistently develop quarterbacks and produce high-end quarterbacks year after year, not just a one-and-done type situation. Like we start a carousel, like how, you know, I know this is a bit dramatic and over the top, but Notre Dame is tight end and like offensive line you the last 20, you know, 15, 20 years. It would be awesome if we saw, if we could start saying that about quarterbacks, you know, even halfway remotely kind of make that statement. And so for those reasons, I'm looking most at quarterback development and and bringing in guys you know, recruiting class after recruiting class and developing within these quarterbacks. And where the program is right now with you've got a very veteran guy who you're going to have as your quarterback this year, but you've got three very raw but very talented guys after him, you know, between Buckner and Carr and Minchie. And you've got to have someone who can get those guys ready to go and develop them and, like, be able to hit the ground running. Honestly, that, you know, and that was that was something that uh, obviously did not happen this year. You know, the guy like Tyler Buckner didn't come out of the shoot ready to hit the ground running. Now, you know, again, in defense, could have used a better running game, could have used a better offensive line early in the season. It got better as the season progressed. Bygones, you know, that guy's gone now. But my point is, you know, Tyler, we, we saw what Tyler Buckner looked like and he didn't look like a guy who's ready to come out of the shoot. That's what you've got to have. If you're going to be a top tier elite program, you've got to have a quarterback developer. And I think the the biggest frustrating thing for me is the lack of consistency at the quarterback position at Notre Dame. And what I mean by that is I feel like Notre Dame often recruits quarterbacks and then molds their offense around, you know, what that quarterback can and can't do. It should be the opposite. You should be bringing in a guy that fits your offensive system and gets better and elevated by learning that system. Like the system should breed the quarterback. The quarterback shouldn't breed the offense, essentially. And I think that's been the biggest frustrating thing is we've seen too many different types of quarterbacks at Notre Dame and just different skill sets, right? Like certain guys could do this, certain guys could do that. It should be more along on these guys should have more similarities than, you know, than, than dissimilarities when coming in. 
Exactly. And that's what I was going to say. You need like, you know, just look at the different kind of quarterbacks that we've seen over the last few years between Ian Book to Jack Cohn, Tyler Buckner, completely different than any of them. You know, Drew Pine, you know, more like Book or Cohn than than Buckner. And now you've got a couple, you know, better athletes and Carr and Minchie both coming in as well. I, I completely agree. You shouldn't have to completely revamp and rework your offense, you know, going from number one to number two. If something happens to number one, you should be able to to pluck a guy in. Now he's still going to have his his strengths and weaknesses. Right. There's going to be some things, but you not, shouldn't have to be... drastically alter right. every you know concept that you're running because of who the quarterback happens to be. Completely right. agree. And there was a question, you know, again, kind of along the lines of of uh what we're talking about, but the top three priorities. For the OC, as an example, experience. What are your what are your top three priorities? Uh, I would say in no particular order: scheme, experience, development. And I think those are the three things you got to have a good scheme. Um, you got to be able to develop your quarterback, like we were just talking about, and you got to have the experience or track record at multiple pit stops, proven success along you know a, a, across multiple disciplines or multiple, you know, pit stops along your career. Yeah. I would say experience development recruiting. And again, and not necessarily in that order, but I would put recruiting in there. He's, he's, he's gotta be someone who can go out and recruit, you know, and, and like, that's, that's the next thing to me is the recruiting aspect of it, because at least as of right now, you know, Joe Brady is still a person of interest in this coaching search. And, you know, I know there's some questions on some different guys and we'll get to those in a little bit, but I, you know, I'll say this, the names that we said on yesterday's show, the names that Brian has said on his show and the names that we're talking about today are the ones where there is some actual interest, you know, again, getting it from sources, there is actual interest in the people that we're talking about. I realize there are a lot of people still, you know, throwing darts at the board and what about this guy and what about that guy, but the names that we're talking about, it are, you know, there is at least Notre Dame interest right now. Where that has gone, you know, with, with any contact over the last couple of days, you know, we're that's that's something that is, you know, that we're all still working to find out, you know, how much more we find out. But the recruiting aspect, again, it's like I go to a Moorhead or I go to an Andy Ludwig, you know, guys who have been around for a long time and recruited at power five programs, you know, the, the biggest knock on, you know, the, the, the biggest plus Joe Brady has is the season that he had with Joe Burrow, but that is still the only full season. You know, it was a, it was a, you know, not miraculous, but it was a, a whirlwind, you know, jet ride rocket of a season. The, the season that Joe Burrow had winning a national championship. And then of course, Joe, what he's done in his short time, three years in the NFL coming off of that time, with Joe Brady, like that's the biggest thing that that Joe Brady has in his bank. What what works against him is that is still his only full season is in college because everything else has been NFL, and he's you know on the record going back to those LSU days about not caring for recruiting <laughs> in the least bit. Now again, as I said yesterday, 
because of who he is and the reputation that he has, and because he would be at Notre Dame and working with Marcus Freeman, I would think recruiting would be a lot easier for him. But that is still the biggest question, I think, with Joe. You know, two the two biggest questions: does he want to, you know, leave the NFL and come back to college? But right along with that, part of his reasoning would be if the answer is no, at least based on what we know right now, is the recruiting aspect of it. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the biggest concern I would have uh, for someone like Joe Brady is, you know, when you put Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase in a room uh, and, you know, you're told to coach, I, I understand that they, you know, you still got to, it's like Sirianni, you still got to do things and, and put together plays and call the right plays and everything. But it's a lot easier when you have Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, um and jamar chase like those are all like three all pro guys now in the nfl that you just kind of had fall into your lap in that one year so that would be my biggest hesitation is yes he's only been in college for one year he wasn't too you know geeked about the recruiting and he also had just like three generational studs on his roster at the same time so it's like it's hard to judge you know what if he what, what would his success be like if he didn't have those three guys and then you know, what if someone else came in? I, I, I just have a hard time believing believing that it, it would hard to fail be to fail in that situation, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. And so, you know, then you start looking at his track record in Carolina. I think that was just ultimately a bad situation all around. I don't think rule fit. I don't think that well, yeah, and that's Tyler Tyler Evans has the super chat. Brady was the scapegoat with the Panthers. He had Bridgewater and Darnold, and and I'm a Panthers fan. Tyler says, and that is absolutely right. And, you know, it, it definitely helps when you get to go to Buffalo and you get to work with Josh Allen instead of Teddy Bridgewater and, and Sam Darno. but Matt rule obviously proved that he was not meant to be an NFL head coach either. It just seems like that whole, like Steve Wilkes was the only good thing that came out of that. And he didn't even get to stay around after somehow he had them in playoff condition, you know, going into the, to the last couple weeks of the season. Yeah, and again, like he he's been the quarterback coach uh, for for the Bills the last couple seasons, um, and yeah, Josh Allen has taken some steps, but we've also seen some regression um, in Josh Allen's play in terms of the interceptions and kind of turning the ball over. And it's like I don't know what that correlation is between him and Joe Brady, but obviously, you know, Joe Brady's not out there throwing the ball or making decisions and stuff like that. But still, I've seen, you know, a jump in Josh Allen's play. Don't get me wrong, but he's also kind of been crucial when it matters the most, and that's within the red zone. So I'm hesitant on Joe Brady. I think that he has great potential, but I'm also very hesitant at the same time. It's like a – to me, Are it's you a very, like, big boomer bust. Are you hesitant because of the recruiting or just because of – I'm hesitant because his biggest and, his biggest attribute again is with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson, and I think a lot of season. people could have succeed in that situation. Okay, even though they were drastically better in his one year than they were the year before he got there. No, yeah, and again, like credit where credits due. I just again, I I I just don't know. It's hard to say because obviously we saw the success that he had. You know, there was like the, one of the greatest offenses of all time in terms of passing. Um, in college history but you know what would that look like if someone else was running it would they surpass it would they come close would they become you know would they drastically come short like what would that look like and so that was again when you have that kind of talent in the room that's just my biggest my biggest worries to me it just feels like 
a big boom or bust situation. It's either going to go yep. really well or really bad. And I don't think there's I mean, an in-between. Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot less track record with him than the other guys, you know, that, that we've talked about, whether it's Ludwig or Candle or Moorhead, obviously, and, and all these different guys. There's a lot less, you know, especially college track record, but just track record, period. And the recruiting thing has to it 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 does have to be part of the equation. Like there's there's no doubt. Like if you gave Joe Brady with the you know this year's team, the 2023 team, you know, a one-off situation and said, Joe Brady, go work your magic. You know, I, I'm sure it's I'm sure it would look pretty darn good next season with Joe Brady in charge of the thing. But then, you know, a couple of different things. How long is he going to stick around? And and again, like what kind of recruiter is he going to be? And that, you know, is he going, you know, what kind of a developer for the next guy is he going to be? Because again, he didn't have to do that. You know, he did, he did his one year at LSU and then he got the NFL job, which it seemed like what he wanted, you know, he kind of took that LSU job to give himself a chance to elevate his NFL stock. It does seem, you know, like the more I listen to you and the you know, more, you know, you sit back and think about it, when you look at who he is, he has predominantly worked in the NFL. And that seems to be where he probably wants to be. You know, he probably would have to be convinced that this is an ideal type situation for him to come. Yeah, I mean, money would talk. That's for sure. Cause you you would get paid, I would assume, more to be Notre Dame's offensive coordinator than the quarterback coach of the Buffalo Bills. I would agree. Um, play calling, game plan, you know, like how much of that, where do you, where do you weigh that kind of stuff in terms of importance? Um, you know, play calling to me just boils down to not getting stuck in tendencies, you know, being kind of diverse on, you know, maybe showing some run on first down, maybe showing some play action on first down you know, maybe on a second and long when everyone thinks you're passing, you hand the ball off. Like that's where I, I I think situational play calling, I guess, is where I would put it at, like getting into certain areas of the field and having success. Um, and again, not showing a lot of tendencies, right? Like not being, you know, there's a lot of teams out there where depending on formation and down in distance, it's almost a lock that they're going to run the ball. So it, for me, I just, I look at play calling as a as a situational thing, knowing where you are on the field and again, not getting stuck um, in certain tendencies. So I know that's kind of short and simple, but that's really kind of how I look at it in terms of play calling. So I think, I think play calling is kind of overblown uh, in some, in some ways. I think that, you know, the plays themselves are going to have success and that's, what's more important, the design of the play and then knowing when to call the play essentially. Yeah. And again, I think when you're looking at a guy like, you know, guys like, whether it's Andy Ludwig in Utah or Joe Moorhead, like these guys have been around the block and they've called a lot of plays <laughs> in their time, you know, and they've developed a lot of different schemes for, for different teams. And so like for them, I think that like that kind of takes care of itself. And if you're Marcus Freeman and you're looking at it, you have film and you have, you know, history and, and connections to these guys and you know like you know what you're looking for and you have a pretty general idea of what they're going to bring to the table when they get here and again because of the like the vast experience like two decades you're talking about for each of those guys you know like you talk about lack of track record with joe brady and then you look at moorhead and Lug ludwig and it's like all track record <laughs> you know I, I think that that some of that 
kind of takes care of itself. Do you think that, do you think it's okay to, you know, sort of like, like take less from a recruiting standpoint, if you have someone who is a great play caller slash overall teacher of the game? Yeah, I think if you can say, hey, if you want to, if you want to take 25% out of time out of your recruiting and devote that 25% to, you know, developing your quarterbacks and implementing your system and kind of what we just talked about, creating a mold of what your quarterback should be able to do in your offense. I'm all about that because again, that's the, that's been Notre Dame's biggest deficiency is a consistent quarterback, you know, play the type of quarterback. And then obviously a quarterback that's going to be uh, above average, potentially, you know, like Heisman finalist type, uh, quarterback. So if you take away, you know, just a portion of that recruiting and you're able to, you know, add it to the development or the evaluation or, you know, that sort of thing. Or if you want to say, hey, we want you strictly, you know, to kind of recruit, to do a lot of your work on quarterbacks and we can kind of let some of the other guys handle running backs, wide receivers, that kind of stuff. As long as the quarterback position is being elevated, I think that's the most important concern because, Again, that's that's just what Notre Dame's been missing. Like they've been missing that guy who can take them over the top at the quarterback position, a, a game changer, if you must. Yeah, exactly. And again, you know, like you look at at some of the guys, these other guys have worked. You know, again, it's 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 not like one of the things that impressed me. Like like I was sitting here and I'm like doing these deep dives on both Moorhead and Ludwig, for example. And like I I you know I look at at Moorhead. Oregon had 36 rushing touchdowns last year when he was the offensive coordinator without Bo Nix. 36 rushing touchdowns. And, you know, it's like it's three you know, Marcus Freeman. What's Marcus Freeman want to do? He, you know, he wants to, to run the ball and stop the run and all that kind of stuff. Two years ago, the 2020 season. Now, remember, the Pac-12 didn't play a full season. I think they only played seven games. Oregon did 13 rushing touchdown so you know not quite on that same 36 pace but that was his first season they were it, he never had quarterbacks there either you know he was only there for a couple of years you know with um with Cristobal so you know like again this is a guy who's been a head coach for a long time and like I look at what he did with Trace McSorley and what he was able to ring out of that and there's a lot to like there but there's also a lot to like you know from a guy like Ludwig you know who you know like he he coached up Brian Johnson, like here's an old, you know, like go back into the past, you know, Utah quarterback name. He came after Alex Smith, and it wasn't Alex Smith who beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. It was a guy named Brian Johnson who beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, you know, after Alex Smith was gone. And, you know, Cam Rising the last couple of years. And and Ludwig, you know, he was coordinator at Cal for a couple of years. He recruited Keenan Allen. To Cal, he had Javid Best when he was at Cal, you know. So like, he had he had some talent out there, you know. So there are a lot of good things to like about, and like they have they've done some things running the football as well at Utah. Say, you know? Utah has so, been very impressive in my eyes on what they've been able to accomplish offensively because I think uh, Cam Rising, I he's not the greatest quarterback, but they again squeeze so much of his talent out of him and got every drop out of that and it's like you know that, that <laughs> talent wise it's like I, you could almost make the, the 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 case that you know a lot of these prior Notre Dame quarterbacks have had more talent than someone like Cam Rising yet he was able to get more out of Cam Rising than we've probably seen 
you know, Notre Dame get out of their quarterbacks in, right. in the past few years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. How important is hiring someone who you know or are at least pretty confident you know is going to be around more than one or two years as opposed oh, I to think, I think that is a very like that's that is a very big uh part of the puzzle for me. I I think that you want someone who's committed just as much as Marcus Freeman on the whole situation. Like they are hand in hand eye to eye leading the program with their vision um, and a guy that's locked in for at least like five years, to be honest with you. I, I don't think that it's good to have alter, you know, rotating quarter or sorry, offensive coordinators, because then, you know, scheme can change how that affects recruits, all of that stuff. No one wants to see a revolving door at the offensive coordinator position. So to me, a consistency is much needed in terms of, you know, how long that they're willing to stay at Notre Dame. See, and that's what scares me about all of these guys, because, you know, like Brady is young, but just what his track record has shown so far is, you know, he would probably try to parlay it into another big job someplace down. And it's not that I'm faulting him for that, but, you know, but then like Ludwig and and Moorhead are both in their 40s and one of them, you know, it's like these guys have been around. So, so like guys where they are in their career are looking to be head coaches. And again, I don't fault them for that, but it just feels like all of these guys are kind of in that range where like, if you get three full seasons out of them, you're, you're, you're probably going to be lucky if you're as successful as you think they're going to be when you hire them. Yeah. And yeah, Derek just made the comment that Alabama has had a revolving door. Well, that's true. You know, uh, I'm, yeah, I, also I, have Nick Saban. It's basically still Nick say. Saban's offense. And, and when you're cycling in, in you know, a lot yeah. of four and five star recruit guys every year, you know, it's just, I just feel like that's a different situation. And it's, it's, it's a lot like comparing. That's still where Notre Dame is trying to get, not necessarily where they're at right now. But right. I mean, it is, a, it is a fair point. But, you know, again, it's like, Alabama is basically the outlier to every right <laughs> to everything. <laughs> and I think <laughs> you know <laughs> another important aspect for me to be honest with you, and I didn't bring this up um, until now, is I think the relationship between Marcus Freeman and the offensive coordinator is paramount as well. I think that they need to see eye to eye overall on what because there's stuff that Marcus Freeman wants to accomplish, right? Like he wants to be a power runner. Uh, and he wants to be able to, you know, when the game w- when the game gets towards the end, he wants to rely on his run game to finish off teams, you know, basically a finisher 
and an ender when it when it comes to you know the run game I, I, in boxing terms like you, you get a quick you know at the beginning of the match you, you let a guy know that you're there you give him a headshot and then at the end you give him the knockout with your run game and i think that's exactly what freeman wants to do and i think that the offensive coordinator needs to be synced up and married up with that kind of concept as well there's just overall larger concepts that i think marcus freeman and the offensive coordinator need to be on the same page about and i think that's another key aspect that we haven't talked about yet yeah and shytown says you know he's okay with uh, everyone on the current staff getting a head coaching job because that because that means notre dame's winning and i, I mean that's that's absolutely right and completely fair as well. You win, you're going to matriculate guys who are going to move up the ranks. You know, like the last couple of years, if you want to call them lateral moves, okay. But it's, you know, Kelly left to take another college head coaching job. Reese leaves to take another offensive coordinator job. You know, if they're if they're moving up the ladder, that's good. And then what you hope. Again, is they're doing their job developing and not just developing the guys on the roster, but their offensive assistants as well. And maybe that means that, you know, you get to a point where you can, you know, move your own guys up the ranks to kind of fill in some of those some of those positions. All right. We had a few other questions. Chi-Town was also asking Dark Horse candidate for Notre Dame. And again, like. I don't know how I'm going to evaluate dark horse candidates because the names that we have seen are the only ones we know right now. And, you know, like Zach was asking about Heartline and we were talking about Heartline last night. Based on all the information Irish Breakdown has received, Heartline is not a candidate and will not be a candidate. And this is also a guy who's a first time coordinator himself. So it's not like it's not like he's got a ton of experience. And again, I think I think experience is is a big factor in what you're looking for with this position, not necessarily a first-time coordinator. You agree? I, I think we both agree on that, right? Yeah. All right. Um again, uh a question. Do you know if Jason Gobelagardi from Boise State is a candidate? And again, based on Everything we have heard right now, he is not. So I don't know if that's being reported someplace else or if that's come from someplace else, but I'll just, you know, go back to the start of the show with Anthony saying, you know, we were talking about um, Brian Johnson from Philadelphia. I just saw on Twitter, Brian was flying to South Bend after Super Bowl was over. I don't know what Twitter account you saw it on, but I'll just go back to, to the beginning of the show. If it's a jabroni account and it's not an account, like if it's not an account that's like a Notre Dame beat reporter, at least, you know, like guys who are actually connected to the Notre Dame beat and people at Notre Dame where they would be getting this information from, you can put whatever stock into it you want. But um, I had a conversation with someone directly about Brian Johnson this afternoon? And the answer was no. So I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Um, and Chi-Town also asking you, Jesse, will it hurt Notre Dame if some of the top names for the Notre Dame offensive coordinator vacancy would want to bring along one of their own assistants or a GA with them? No, I, I don't think so. I think that that is just comfortability and, you know, probably a proven system before of, you know, divvying up tasks and, you know, certain things that would 
aid and allow, you know, said OC to kind of devote their attention elsewhere or prioritize, you know, their attention to kind of more of the high level stuff. So, you know, to me, if, if it's just a matter of what the offensive coordinator is okay with, is it someone who, can, you know, wants to do it all on their own, you know, and, and take on that responsibility, or are they comfortable with having someone, you know, potentially help them like a GA or an assistant, like I said, to kind of, divvy up some of the lower priority tasks on a day-to-day basis because you know there's guys that got to break down film there's guys that gotta you know do kind of a lot of that grunt work and so when you have you know more hands on deck i don't think that that's ever a bad thing yes i don't know how i can be more clear on the brian johnson no he is not being interviewed (laughs) you can you can you can put your stock in whatever bs twitter account that you saw it on i know it's floating around out there but no as of this moment, based on the information we have received, that is very good information, Brian Johnson is not interviewing, regardless of what Jabroni Twitter says out there. That's 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 all I can say <laughs> right now. That's and again, I don't I don't know where it came from, but you know, again, I know you know, and it's floating around out there. And we you know, I started talking about this. At the top of the show, there are a lot of, as Tyler James uh, said, clout chasing social media accounts. They're basically nothing more than than a than a Twitter account. Maybe a guy, girl, whoever you know, who happens to subscribe to a couple of message boards or follows, you know, somebody you know who is actually reporting on the matter you know like on the beat on the matter whatever you know beats they happen to be and they're in their cherry picking someone else's information and spreading it around out there so that's that's all i can say as of right now byron leftwich no brian johnson no all these other guys we've talked about today still in play and no other new names as of right now i know they're making phone calls this week and talking to guys and and all that kind of stuff, setting up interviews and, and everything else. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.